As the deputy chief of global production, Yoshio Nakamura signals a resurgence powered by lessons learned from Tesla. With Tesla's Model Y surpassing the Toyota Corolla as the world's best-selling car, we explore this Tesla shock reverberating across the auto industry and Toyota's plans to navigate this electric revolution. Now, the Japanese automaker, not known for shying away from challenges, is on the path to evolving its strategies, implementing innovations akin to Tesla's. Now, as Toyota seeks to regain lost ground, we're left to anticipate what could very well be a fascinating shift in the global automotive landscape. And we'll take a deeper look at that after a word from our sponsors. In the history of the automotive industry, Toyota has reigned supreme positioning itself as the standard bearer for efficient, lean vehicle manufacturing. Yet, as the industry veers off into the electric vehicle revolution, it appears the Japanese Titan has been left standing in the rearview mirror of Elon Musk's trailblazing brainchild, Tesla. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Now, Tesla's ability to adopt offbeat strategies and novel manufacturing solutions, both within its factories and throughout its vehicle's designs, has seemingly outstripped Toyota's long-established prowess. However, according to Yoshio Nakamura, Toyota's deputy chief of global production, the story may be set for an exciting plot twist. In a recent conversation with Automotive News, Nakamura expressed a sincere admiration for Tesla's disruptive technology. Rather than regarding it as a threat, he views this innovative approach in the advancement as a source of inspiration, a motivational challenge for Toyota to roll up its sleeves in claw back lost ground. Nakamura, however, is quick to clarify that this will not result in an outright mimicry of Tesla's success. They said, of course, we admit Tesla has wonderful technology, but that just motivates us to work harder to catch up. Nakamura was alluding to the Japanese philosophy of continuous improvement, one that has been integral to Toyota's success over the years. And there's an undeniable shift in the winds of the automotive industry, spurred on by the audacious startups that have embraced the electric vehicle movement with open arms. Free from burden of legacy technologies and outdated supply lines, these nimble newcomers have proved that they can produce and sell electric vehicles at scale and for profit. Now, this includes Tesla, whose Model 3 and Model Y have solidified their positions as best sellers in the automotive electric vehicle market. Now, this seismic shift could well be christened as the Tesla shock. According to industry insiders, the effects of this shock were felt most acutely by Toyota, especially when Tesla's Model Y dethroned the Toyota Corolla as the world's best selling car in quarter one of 2023. But Toyota's battle cry has always been adapt and thrive. And now, more than ever, the giant is summoning that spirit. Its latest electric vehicle strategy, while yet to be proven, signifies an intent to roll with the punches. This comes after the lackluster performance of their last EV, the BZ4X, which struggled to make significant inroads in the marketplace. One industry observer, Sandy Monroe, CEO of Monroe & Associates, said that Toyota's new blueprint bears significant resemblance to Tesla's pioneering methodologies. From an emphasis on vertical integration to the embrace of advanced manufacturing techniques such as giga castings and a broad use of robots in factories, Toyota seems to be borrowing from Tesla's playbook. The strategy seems to stem from a certain humbling catalyzed by the rise of the Tesla Model Y, which experienced a stunning 77.2 year-over-year increase in sales 
in the first four months of 2023. According to Focus to Move, the Model Y chalked up an impressive 336,753 unit sales in this period, outpacing the Toyota Corolla's 325,984. Tesla's Model 3 trailed considerably, with 180,839 units sold. Meanwhile, data provided by industry analyst Troy Teslake presents an even more telling picture. In the first quarter of 2023 alone, Tesla registered 125,826 Model 3s in a whopping 286,354 Model Ys. And the numbers speak for themselves. The Model Y is outperforming its older sibling, the Model 3, by a substantial margin. And the narrative's broader implications become even more striking when we track sales trends over the long term. It's hard not to notice the Model 3's sales performance, which, while now declining, has certainly plateaued since quarter three of 2020. Now, in contrast, the Model Y exhibits a steady, unrelenting upward trajectory. And if imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, then Tesla must be feeling quite complimented. And Toyota's new strategies show a noticeable mirroring of Tesla's approaches. From aiming for a complete vertical integration, a technique that Tesla has used to control every stage of their production process, to embracing the use of large-scale die-cast machinery and a more extensive use of robotics on the production floor, Toyota is evidently drawing inspiration from the Silicon Valley behemoth. Now, Monroe said, the Toyota plan that I see is very similar to the Tesla production plan, and that is good because currently, that's the best in the marketplace. Toyota needs to also look outside for contrary points of view on how to run the company. Still, Toyota's ambition is not to emulate Tesla outright. Drawing on their own strengths and heritage, Toyota is seeking to learn from Tesla's pioneering work and evolve in. Toyota's famed Kaizen philosophy, which emphasizes continuous improvement and a relentless quest for efficiency, will surely play a pivotal role in this transformative journey. However, the road ahead for Tesla is strewn with uncertainties. The company's new approach is yet to be validated, and the journey toward its electric future remains largely uncharted. Now, the first outing, the BZ4X, hardly painted a picture of overwhelming success. But Toyota, the iconic car maker, remains unfazed and is doubling down on its commitment to EVs, viewing their past missteps as valuable lessons rather than setbacks. Now, in this scenario, it's crucial to note that the race for EV supremacy isn't solely about technical prowess or manufacturing efficiency. It's also about consumer preferences and market demand, where Tesla has built a considerable lead. Now, according to automotive data specialists focused to move in the first quarter of 2023, Tesla's Model Y and the Model 3 were in good shape. Now, they've also overshadowed Toyota's Corolla with which had 325,984 sales, and the Y had 336,753. This reflects not just Tesla's manufacturing acumen, but also their grasp on market trends and consumer preference. And the current situation is indeed a snapshot of a dynamic, swiftly changing industry. As the dust settles on the Model Y's unprecedented success, Toyota, a seasoned automotive veteran, is regrouping and rethinking its strategies. Yet it's still the early days in the battle for electric vehicle dominance. As the industry watches Toyota's strategic metamorphosis with bated breath, many wonder if the company's famed efficiency and methodical planning, combined with lessons learned from Tesla, will prove successful in this new electrified era. The answer to this will shape not just the future for Toyota, also for Tesla and possibly entire auto industry. And as we know, this story is just unfolding, so please take a second and hit the subscribe button or the follow button on whatever podcast platform you're on right now. And I'll bring you as much information as soon as we get it right there on your podcast platform. Today, we delve into the captivating tale of the notorious Twitter hack of 2020 that held millions of Twitter users hostage in real time, sweeping up giants of the tech world and even reaching Elon Musk. Now, the plot thickens as we explore the recent sentencing of Joseph James O'Connor, the UK hacker known as Plugwalk Joe, who was a crucial player in this digital drama. Now serving five years in federal prison and having to forfeit $794,000 to his victims, O'Connor's story is a startling illustration of the very tangible consequences of cybercrime. And in this episode, we'll be unpacking the details of this case, 
From O'Connor's sophisticated hacking methods to the series of events leading to his capture and extradition from Spain. We'll delve into the repercussions of the hack, its impact on Twitter cybersecurity measures, and what this incident means for the larger tech community. It's a fascinating blend of technology, crime, and real-world implications that underscores the importance of cybersecurity in our increasingly digital lives. But before we get into that, let's hear from some of our sponsors. It's been around three years since the seismic Twitter hack of 2020 erupted on the digital horizon, ensnaring global tech giants and ordinary users alike. But this year, justice caught up with one of the hackers responsible, Joseph James O'Connor, in a compelling example of how cybercrime carries real-world consequences. A New York federal court has sentenced O'Connor, 24, a UK citizen infamously known online as Plugwalk Joe, to five years in prison. The sentence comes after O'Connor pleaded guilty in May to an array of charges, including computer hacking, wire fraud, and cyberstalking. The digital heist, among the most conspicuous in recent memory, played out like a high-stakes thriller, unfurling in real time before millions of Twitter users worldwide. And the consequences of O'Connor's actions? Significant enough to make him agree to pay $794,000 to his victims of the cybercrimes. In a saga marked by international cooperation, O'Connor was extradited from Spain earlier this year, following the request of U.S. prosecutors. And since then, he has remained in the grip of U.S. custody. During the sentencing, Judge Jed S. Rakoff estimated that O'Connor could serve roughly half of his sentence, taking into account the more than two years he had spent in pretrial detention. And the hacker's potential time in prison, according to Reuters, could have stretched up to staggering 77 years. Now, as the Justice Department's prosecutors lobbied for O'Connor to serve at least seven years, the courtroom buzzed with anticipation. But when his turn came, O'Connor delivered a statement that tilted towards contrition rather than defiance. Labeling his actions as stupid and pointless, he expressed remorse to his victims and sought leniency from the judge. Nevertheless, the government's portrayal of O'Connor painted a very different picture. Prosecutors accused him of exploiting his sophisticated technological abilities for malign purposes, resulting in an intricate web of cybercrimes. These included a complex SIM swap attack that looted considerable amounts of cryptocurrency, hacking Twitter, commandeering social media accounts, and even cyberstalking two victims, one of them a minor. And to many, O'Connor was better known by his cryptic online pseudonym, Plugwalk Joe, and under this moniker, he became a part of a band of hackers that targeted a string of high-profile Twitter accounts. Among them were those of Apple, Binance, Bill Gates, Joe Biden, and even Elon Musk. O'Connor, O'Connor and his associates skillfully manipulated Twitter employees into granting them access to Twitter's network. They deployed phone-based social engineering techniques, a strategy that fellow hacker Graham Ivan Clark, alias Kirk, leveraged to hijack and reassign Twitter user accounts. Clark also implicated in the Twitter breach, would later be convicted for his actions. This breach resulted in a spectacle that millions of Twitter users will not soon forget. As Twitter scrambled to contain this intrusion, users were temporarily blocked from posting, with their timelines inundated with cryptocurrency scams from some of the biggest names in tech, including Elon. Subsequently, an investigation by the New York Department of Financial Services accused Twitter of inadequate cybersecurity protections. And according to the findings, the hackers had impersonated Twitter's IT department, gaining access by calling Twitter employees. And once inside, they hijacked the accounts of prominent figures and propagated double-your-Bitcoin scams. Now, the scam fetched the hackers about $120,000, as indicated by public blockchain records. In response to the breach, Twitter overhauled its cybersecurity controls, introducing hardware security keys for employees to combat future phishing attempts. Now, as the dust settled, new allegations about the breach began to surface around two years later. Peter Mudge Zatko, Twitter's head of security, who was hired months after the breach, described the hacker's access as a kind of god mode. And this omnipotent access allowed them to masquerade as any Twitter account that they chose. And in a whistleblower complaint filed with federal regulators in 2022, Zatko labeled the incident as, quote, the largest hack of a social media platform in history. He went on to accuse Twitter of significant cybersecurity failings, stoking even more controversy. Now, this Friday marked a pivotal point in this three-year-long digital dilemma. 
with the sentencing of one of the main actors, Joseph James O'Connor, with a five-year sentence handed down and $794,000 to be forfeited. It's a reminder that even in this interconnected world of the 21st century, even the most elusive cyber criminals cannot escape justice. Twitter, the popular social media platform recognized globally for 280 character tweets, updates, and trending topics, has undergone a significant metamorphosis in the recent past. And under the stewardship of Elon Musk, who acquired the platform last year, Twitter has ventured into new areas, casting its net wider into long-form content, aligning its vision with platforms such as YouTube. Now, Elon Musk's leadership has always been grounded in two foundational pillars, freedom of speech and expansive growth. His penchant for pushing the envelope and steering the Twitter ship into uncharted waters has been the talk of the tech world. Now, throughout his tenure as CEO and owner of Twitter, he's unfurled a plethora of updates, each more innovative from the last. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more right after this word from our sponsors. Musk has demonstrated a particular interest in long-form social media platforms and in a move seen as a direct competition with YouTube, recently introduced a feature that permits users to upload videos of up to two hours in length. This significant adjustment is coupled with an influx of exclusive shows aired on Twitter, adding a brand new dimension to the platform's engagement strategy. In what many perceive as an ingenious move, Twitter is leveraging the popularity of household names to attract more viewers. A prime example is the exclusive show featuring ex-Fox News host Tucker Carlson, aptly named Tucker on Twitter. The show offers a fresh perspective on the intertwining worlds of media and technology. One could argue that the Twitter of today is worlds apart from its original incarnation. It's not merely a platform for microblogging anymore, but a versatile hub of multimedia content. And among the key players tapping into Twitter's expanded functionalities is Apple TV. The tech titan recently promoted Silo, a science fiction series on its streaming service, using a unique strategy that involved Twitter. In the days leading up to the season finale of Silo, Apple TV Plus shared the full inaugural episode through its official Twitter account. And with Musk himself endorsing the move and encouraging users to airplay the episode from their phones to their TV, the tweet quickly amassed more than 37 million views. On a personal note, I'm a big fan of Silo, and I would recommend watching it if you have Apple TV+. Check it out on Twitter, too. Check out the first episode for free. Now, the response from Twitter was overwhelmingly positive. Known YouTuber Mr. Beast commended the decision, stating, Smart move. I never would have heard of this show, and now I'm watching episode one and invested. And with such endorsements, Apple TV Plus's gamble seems to have paid off in spades. Despite the roaring success of shows like Ted Lasso, Apple TV Plus is still considered a smaller contender in the streaming service wars. They have about 25 million subscribers compared to Netflix's staggering amount of 250 million, and HBO has 96 million. So that's pretty impressive. Therefore, the decision to debut the entire first episode of Silo on Twitter a move reminiscent of marketing tactics used by Twitter pirates was not only unconventional, but also strategic. Silo, which is a sci-fi drama, is based on the novel Wool by American author Hugh Howey. Set in a post-apocalyptic world, the remnants of humanity live in a self-sustaining underground bunker known as the Silo. A web of secrets and unanswered questions form the crux of the narrative, expertly handled by showrunner Graham Yost with themes of truth, fiction, and the power of information coming to the forefront. Now, the series features a star-studded cast, including Rebecca Ferguson, known for her role in Dune, as Juliet Nichols, an engineer thrust into a web of intrigue following her lover's murder. Alongside her, the likes of Rashida Jones, Common, Tim Robbins, and Harriet Walter weave an intricate narrative that has captivated audiences so far, including myself. While Silo is a relatively recent addition to Apple TV's roster of original content, its success has proven resounding. The series has been renewed for a second season, demonstrating Apple's faith in the show. And as of now, nine episodes of Silo are available to stream on Apple TV+, with the much-anticipated season finale, titled Outside, set to premiere this Friday. In the grand scheme of things, these changes ushered in by Musk at Twitter represent a seismic shift in how social media platforms function. By incorporating long-form content and engaging programming, 
Twitter is broadening its scope and reshaping the digital landscape. The line between social media and content streaming platforms continues to blur, indicating a transformative period for the world of digital entertainment. At the center of this revolution, Twitter and Elon Musk are guiding this transformation of Twitter from a microblogging site to a multimedia powerhouse. Now let's transition into some Tesla news. A notorious hacker known as at green, the only claims to have unearthed a covert software mode dubbed Elon mode that enables a hands-free driving experience in Tesla vehicles. This breakthrough, if legitimate, emerges against the backdrop of at green, the only's history of cracking Tesla's codes. Their online presence is peppered with revelations about the tech giants maneuvers from revealing the ability of Tesla to disable power seats remotely to unveiling an inactive center camera feature in the Model 3. This time, however, the revelation could be transformative, a function that appears to bring Tesla vehicles a step closer to achieving full self-driving capabilities. Ant Green, the only after allegedly enabling Elon mode, embarked on an ambitious test run. The footage posted online might not yield insights into the specific on-screen display of the mode, but it points towards its reality. The hacker claims that the Tesla vehicle, with Elon mode activated, navigated the terrain without any manual intervention. This significant claim comes at a time when Tesla's full self-driving software, a cutting-edge vision-based system, is under scrutiny. And currently in beta, the FSD is available to customers willing to shell out upwards of $15,000. However, it's also the subject of a leaked report citing numerous customer complaints about sudden braking and unanticipated acceleration. Tesla's first-generation autopilot system was initially praised for its driver assist features, especially on highways, but users have increasingly complained about the system's incessant reminders for manual steering confirmation, prompting some to label it as nagging. And now this is a feature even the upgraded FSD hasn't shed. And in a bid to ensure driver attentiveness, Tesla vehicles equipped with a center interior camera monitor the driver's eyes now, but its sensitivity has been a source of annoyance for many. Even a baseball cap could render a driver distracted in the eyes of Tesla vision, prompting constant reminders to pay attention to the road. Continuous negligence could result in a temporary ban from using full self-driving that the system warns about. Now, these reminders, however, seem conspicuously absent in at Green the Only's nearly 600-mile test drive using Elon mode. Now, conducted in a vehicle the hacker suggests is company-owned, the video seems to show a lack of the nagging alerts. Vehicle in question appears to be an early Model X, possibly without an interior camera. And details about how the vehicle was procured, or if it is indeed equipped with a camera, remain a mystery at this point. And in a Twitter thread outlining their experience, Green the Only mentioned that the vehicle still demonstrated some erratic behavior, such as random lane changes and a slow highway speed. The accessibility of this software iteration to everyday Tesla owners remains uncertain. We don't know really how to get into it. And Elon Musk hinted in December that a more nag-free driving experience may be on the horizon. And amid these revelations, Green the only praised the increased security measures in Tesla's software compared to their initial foray into hacking the system back in 2017. And the tech-savvy hacker lauded the challenges posed by the increasingly complex system even as they consistently circumvented the company's security measures. According to Green the Only, Tesla's care for its software security is rare among automakers, rendering it a nice puzzle that keeps getting better. Now, with rumors of Elon mode swirling, Tesla stands at a turning point. The promise of a hands-free driving experience brings with it the thrill of innovation and the shadow of apprehension. Now, we're going to be keeping up with this as the story unfolds. This next segment is centered around SpaceX. And more importantly, the $150 billion valuation that could be happening right now. So California private space launch giant SpaceX is currently in talks to sell insider shares, which could potentially hike the company's valuation to a staggering $150 billion. Should these discussions materialize, SpaceX, which is owned by tech magnate Elon Musk, will leap to become the most highly valued startup in the United States. As per these insiders who wish to remain anonymous, 
the company is reportedly pushing a tender offer worth an estimated $750 million. The shares involved in this transaction are to be traded at over $80 each. And to put things into perspective, SpaceX's valuation soared to $137 billion earlier in January following an investment injection of $750 million. Now, according to our sources, the current financial position of SpaceX is robust. With approximately $5 billion in liquid assets on their balance sheet, and despite our efforts, SpaceX representatives weren't available to provide a comment on these claims. And while the size of the tender offer could fluctuate depending on the interest level from prospective buyers and current insider sellers, the insider shares should significantly boost the firm's valuation. Now, these recent developments present an intriguing opportunity to observe the ever-growing commercial space launch industry that SpaceX is at the forefront of. Now, Hawthorne, California, the headquarters of SpaceX, has considerably shaped the space launch market over the years. It's emerged as the industry's top player, launching payloads for both private sector clients and various government agencies, including NASA and the Department of Defense. The company has been involved in a myriad of operations, such as transporting astronauts to the International Space Station and also executing their first private space tourism mission for civilians. Now, just last Friday, SpaceX further boosted its space capabilities by deploying over 50 Starlink satellites. These new installations serve to enhance its already vast constellation, which beams broadband internet coverage back to Earth. Investors and industry analysts have been keenly observing the company, especially Starlink, speculating whether Musk will eventually decide to spin off Starlink as a subsidiary. Now, Musk has previously hinted at this possibility, indicating it would occur once the cash flow stabilizes. According to Bloomberg, SpaceX's share sale would price the company's shares around $80 to $81, aiming to secure an investment of $750 million overall. This news was subsequently confirmed by the Wall Street Journal. Now, SpaceX made headlines earlier in the year when it clinched the title of the highest U.S.-valued startup. Now, this accomplishment followed two successful fundraising rounds in May and December, each raising the company's value to $125 billion and $140 billion, respectively. Now, throughout its history, the company has resorted to private fundraising and employee share sales as a strategy for both raising funds and rewarding employees. Founded in 2022, SpaceX has seen its value skyrocket in recent years, fueled by its increased activities in space. The company has fostered strong partnerships with NASA and various firms and has successfully launched Starlink, a satellite internet service that now boasts the world's largest commercial constellation of satellites. Investors have pinpointed the high profit potential of Starlink, designed to improve internet access to remote and rural areas as a primary driver of the company's value. And in more recent news, SpaceX made headlines when its gargantuan Starship rocket detonated shortly after launch. And despite the explosion, Musk stated that the launch was somewhat better than he anticipated. And during a Saturday morning Twitter space with Bloomberg's Ashley Vance, Musk estimated that approximately $2 billion has been spent on Starship. And the figure could potentially reach $3 billion by the end of the year. He also mentioned possible upgrades to the rocket design and launch pad, which could be completed in about four to six weeks, indicating another launch might be in the cards for this year. However, not all reactions to the April launch were positive. Environmental groups have filed lawsuits against the FAA for approving the launch, alleging that they failed to assess the environmental impact of the launch and subsequent explosion. Following the launch, photos emerged depicting the crater left by the rocket on the launch pad, which many hope will be addressed by the aforementioned upgrades. And despite attempts to seek comments, SpaceX didn't respond to any of our queries about this on Saturday morning. And as this story develops, it continues to highlight the growing influence of commercial spaceflight in the ever-changing landscape of the space industry. Make sure to subscribe to it on whatever podcast platform you're on right now or follow it, because we will be bringing you more about the Starlink IPO as it's happening, and also Starship news and all the SpaceX news that you'll ever need. So please take a second, hit the subscribe button or the follow button on whatever podcast platform you're on. SpaceX is collaborating with NASA on an integrated low Earth orbit architecture to provide a growing portfolio of technology 
with near-term Dragon evolution and concurrent Starship development. This architecture includes Starship as a transportation and in-space low-Earth orbit destination element supported by Super Heavy, Dragon, and Starlink, and constituent capabilities including crew and cargo transportation, communication, and operational and ground support. So joining me today is Neil Thorne, and we're going to be talking about what this actually means from NASA and what SpaceX is capable of and how this is going to change space travel and space exploration forever and how this can actually eventually turn into a thing that SpaceX could use for their Mars transportation via Starship. How you doing today, Neil? I'm doing just great. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. So the Starship going into low Earth orbit, and it seems like SpaceX and NASA are working together to use this as some sort of transportation hub or some sort of space station in the near term. And do you think that's what they're looking at here, what we're looking at here? I don't know. It's a very vague sort of approach that NASA's taking there. They're not saying build us a space station. They're just saying, help us out in low Earth orbit. Yeah. I so it's hard so. to say exactly what it is they're expecting out of this. I've thought for ever since the Starship became a thing that putting this huge object into space, this the Starship, which one Starship has more interior volume than the space station does right now. You link three or four of those together and suddenly you've got quite a bit of space up there to for activities. Yeah, it'll be an interesting next few years for yeah. the Starship and for NASA because eventually NASA will be the orbiting the International Space Station. What is it, 2030, I believe? 2030, 2032 or something? So, somewhere around there. It always seems to be a flexible number. Yeah, that's. it always seems like. I think they wanted to do it in 2026 at some point. Yeah. And then they. I think it's as long it. as it's useful, though, they're going to keep it going. But yeah, I think so too. I think as long as the taxpayers can pay for it and as long as yeah. the they're seeing Plus some just, returns from it. Then... It's such an expensive thing to run every day to keep six people up there. It's just such an expense. And everything in there is so outdated at this point. The technology is advancing so fast here on Earth that. Even something they they started building six years ago that got sent up there two years ago is so far beyond the technology right now that it almost becomes irrelevant. Well, yeah, and SpaceX is working currently on their Starship program. And in the next, hopefully we can see this in the next, as Elon said, six to eight weeks, another launch of Starship. And when that happens, we'll see if it's actually going to be a possibility or feasibility this will make it to orbit. And once it does make it to orbit, these studies that SpaceX and NASA will be working together on could become a thing. And they have to work together to get SpaceX's Starship onto the moon as well for Artemis 3. So maybe this could be part of that because they need to dock with the SpaceX Starship in order to get to the moon. So yeah. as you say, everything that they need to test. do to help NASA here, they have to do for the moon as well. So it's going to be being built in sequence, I think, or in parallel, I should say. Yeah, they're going to be using Super Heavy, which is the Starship program, a Dragon and Starlink. So the Dragon will more than likely be docking with it. And I think the Polaris program will be using a Dragon to dock with a Starship. I think what the, what's going to happen is they're going to send a Starship to orbit. They're going to get it up there. Then they're going to send the crew of Polaris program in a, a capsule, a dragon capsule on a Falcon 9 and then dock with the Starship, kind of mimicking what they're going to be doing with the Starship and the Orion capsule. And then they're going to, they're going to go inside the Starship and do some testing and do some science and some experimenting, some engineering and see if it's actually feasible to live in one for a little bit. And then mm -hmm. do some more, some more testing inside and maybe outside of the Starship. So. I think that's what they're thinking here. I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, it's very vague. It really is very vague, this whole wording. I think they kept it that way. So it's, I think so. 
so they can't be like yeah. Starship is going to replace the International Space Station. Exactly. And I think that would make a lot of companies very angry. The Blue Origins, the Axiom Space, all these people would be very upset at that. So I think you keep it vague. They're going to help us out. We're going to use their capabilities to, to further our goals. That's it. Yeah. And maybe that goal happens to be a new space station. Then it has to be a new space station. Yeah. Maybe eventually they will. Maybe eventually they will turn a international space station, turn it away, get rid of it. And then they'll put a couple starships together or even one starship. There's a hundred, there's a thousand cubic meters estimated in interior volume of a starship, which if built right can hold for earth to earth transport, 100 people, according to Elon Musk. More than likely for these kind of missions, it'll be something similar to the International Space Station where it's about six people. Maybe the Starship could hold a little bit more because the space station has 915 cubic meters of internal space. And it's not that much different. It's 85 cubic meters hmm. of difference. So you could put some more supplies in this Starship, but a little, yeah, it's not a, much though. The space in the space station is more compartmentalized, so it's more usable space Yeah, than the Starship, which would be a more open plan, but obviously much, probably much better for people's psyches as well. Yeah, I think so. Most of the renderings we've seen have, has been a tube through the middle with a ladder or some sort of transport in the middle where you can go from section to section, but it's pretty wide open through the whole Starship. And I think just people spend a year plus on the International Space Station and they're segmented off doing their experiments. Don't see anybody maybe all day. Maybe throughout the day, they might see one or two people. But if they, maybe there's seven, eight people in a starship, maybe you can see all the way through the starship while people are working. I think that'd be really neat. I don't know if that's how it's going to actually happen. I think happen. so too. I think it would be a much more enjoyable atmosphere to even if you're not working with somebody that they happen to be across the nine meter gap between you working on something else and you can see them, I think that camaraderie gets built. And then again, people can also get on your nerves much faster. Well, <laughs> That's true. So yeah. obviously when they select an astronaut, they do a lot of psychological studies to make sure they're going to live and play well with others. So that will have to continue. Yeah. And sending a hundred people in starship to any long distances is, is really difficult to conceive of. What are we talking? 17, 16, 17 people per sort of starship, if you will. I can't imagine traveling a very long distance stuck in the same room, my, my sort of bedroom, if you will, the entire time. That would be very difficult because it wouldn't be much room for anything else. Yeah, that's true. There, so there, there's been talks of how many people could go on a Mars ship to from any anywhere from six people to some people were saying 30 people and there were some people that were saying upwards of 100 people to mars i don't think it's going to be 100 people i think that's ridiculous i think that's way too many but i think if you have something like this where spacex and nasa are working together low earth orbit they can try different configurations for the long term uh mars transport because you could have two starships docked together what they're going to be yep. doing with the refueling and the tankers for the artemis missions instead of a tanker you have just another starship where people can float between the starships there's a port and there could be a section where it's like a living section where it's just you work out you sleep there's maybe some entertainment there's big windows and also there could be a variant where it's just cargo, where there's just a t like so much food and you're going to have to bring a lot of water to Mars or even to low Earth orbit. So sure. there's a possibility that's what they're going to be working on as well. And it's going to take, I wish it were to happen really fast, but space transport, space technology, engineering and science all take a long time. So what they're building now, maybe 50 years from now, we'll see the ultimate gain of we're going to be taking normal trips to Mars. There's going to be just numerous trips per year to get to Mars. And I believe the next, the closest that Mars is going to be to earth is going to be 2024. So maybe if Starship gets to orbit this year, 
And then maybe next year, who knows? Maybe they're going to start trying to get to Mars. Just shoot a starship. <laughs> to yeah, Mars. shoot a starship without any intention of landing it. Yeah, and just, uh, try, just try, try to get into Mars orbit or at least use the orbit to slow you down so that you could land if you wanted to. Yep. Obviously, that's the hardest part about any trip to Mars is making sure you hit the right spot so you don't burn up in the atmosphere or get slingshotted out into space, bounce off the atmosphere. So it's very difficult to do. And that's where the majority of sort of things being shot at Mars fail. So it's, they're going to have to practice that for sure. Yeah. Right the now they're practicing getting the thing to orbit around Earth, which is comparatively way easier. So it's going to take some time and some, yeah, who knows? Who knows? We'll see what happens at the next Starship launch to see whether they actually get to orbit and there's no complications and destroy the pad. And if that all goes to plan, then yeah, I could potentially see them trying to stretch themselves. Obviously SpaceX is an iterative design company and they're not afraid to say, okay, we did it. Let's move on. Ship 15 was the first one to land. They didn't bother trying to land another one. They said, good, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. I could see them getting to orbit and saying, good, let's move on. I could see that too. Yeah. And saying, okay, we made the orbit. Now we need a tanker up there. Let's do that. Okay. Now that's done. We don't need to do it a hundred times before they put people in the starship. They'll have to do it a hundred times, but if they're just doing tests, they're going to be happy with what they got and move on to the next challenge. Yeah, and even between the first launch and this next launch that's coming up, they switched. I think it. I think Elon said hundreds of things, maybe a thousand things, some, something like that, between the last Starship and the Super Heavy and the next one that's going up. And one of the most important things is that they're going to be doing hot staging between the booster and the ship, which is... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on that just yet, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, that seems like an... Incredible feat. I don't see that the, a lot of Russian spacecraft have done that in the past, and it seems to be pretty pretty well documented, but I think SpaceX could pull it off. I don't know if it's going to work this time. It's the first trial and error. Exactly, it's right? This is all trial. This is all to be done, to be determined. They'll have to, they'll figure it out. It's not impossible to do. It's just a matter of figuring out how to make their current build sustain that sort of blast as a, as they separate. Yeah. Obviously they don't need some way to exhaust the flame as it comes out, but also the top, the dome of the, the booster is going to have to withstand the, all those engines lighting as well. Yeah. I don't understand how they're going to do it. I don't really understand that technology that much, but it seems like they have to reinforce, like it's a stainless steel dome mm. on this thing so they have to and reinforce it with something yes yeah it's, it's not a thick stainless steel either plus they want to reuse these a hundred times yeah so there really can't be any damage from this separation for this to be successful there can't be any damage it has to be 100 percent perfect if it starts to wear away from the heat or there's any damage whatsoever then it's unsuccessful it's not going to be a long-term solution to have to fix it so do you think this could be something like a, for lack of a better term, a puck that they put on top of the booster and they could replace it if needed. So it's not going to be, it might not be 100% reusable right away, sure. but they could just use it just for that one time. And then the next yeah. booster is going to have a different puck on it. And they could do something like the heat tiles yeah. that they've got on the outside of the ship. They could plaster those over the top of the booster and use those as an abrading replaceable part yeah that but it would take some time though. to re inspect those every time that it lands yeah that's true it's similar to the space shuttle so yeah i think the i think we're gonna see some wild stuff in this next launch but yeah the nasa and spacex collaboration here with this space station is going to be a huge thing and the funny thing is nasa is a government agency and for forever they've been using taxpayers money to do things like this experiments like this and phil McAllister, the director of commercial space flight at nasa said it is great to see companies invest their own capital toward innovative commercial space capabilities we've seen how these types of partnerships benefit both the private sector and nasa so basically they're saying hey all of you 
companies out here. Blue Origin, Northrop Grumman, Sierra Space, SpaceX, Special Aerospace Services, Think Orbital, and Fast Space. You spend your money, you figure this out, and then we're going to partner with you to use your technology in the future. And we're going to pay for it, but you have to figure it out. Like you're going to have to have a minimum viable product, the MVP, so we can use it for our own services for the future, whether that's a space station with SpaceX, or if they're going to be using it, of course, for HLS and further missions, but it's different than what it used to be for the longest time. It's uh, very different. Absolutely. And it really is a great solution. NASA puts so much money and effort into developing things like the SLS and everything that came before it, space shuttle and whatnot. To have commercial companies do all that research development and testing, and then to just pay them a bunch of money at the end or during it as a sort of seed money, it's just so much easier for everybody as far as the government is concerned and a lot less risk as well. Yeah. And then you hand off that risk to private companies. Absolutely. It, it leaves so much more, so much more room for NASA to play around with different ideas too. They don't have to stick with one thing like the SLS. They're stuck with the SLS. They can't yeah. really diverge from that and say, oh, we're going to stop doing that because Starship works now. They have a contract. They're going to be building these SLS rockets for the foreseeable future. And what Starship surpasses the SLS in technology and weight to orbit ratio, weight ratio to orbit, but they don't care because they have these contracts in place with Boeing and other companies, Northrop Grumman, et cetera, to build these SLS rockets yeah. and they can't change it. You know, what I really like about the con this commercial partnerships is that some, someone like SpaceX is going to pay for their materials, what they should be paying as opposed to what NASA pays for materials, a screw NASA's paying for a screw might cost them a hundred dollars a screw because the companies that are selling them that screw know that they can get away with it. Whereas SpaceX is saying, we're not paying that we'll build a machine and make these for a dime a piece. If that's what you're going to bother charging us, it's a much more efficient from an economic standpoint to have the commercial partners take care of all the stuff because they're not going to get overcharged the way NASA has traditionally been overcharged. Yeah. I think that's an important step forward for NASA and an important step forward for these companies, because not only do they get money for these initial projects, but they can add things onto it eventually. So SpaceX could say, okay, we have the starship. We have a crew starship, but we can also make a space station starship. Would you be interested in the space station? NASA could be like, yeah, we like that idea. That's a great idea. We're going to give you the money for it, even if it's just a concept right now. But since SpaceX brought it to them in a capability, like in the capacity of a, like a commercial project, then they're going to pay, like SpaceX is going to pay for it. And then NASA yep. will pay them whatever SpaceX wants to charge them. So for sure, I think it's going to be a, a huge boost to the low earth orbit economy, but also the economy of deep space exploration as well. Yeah. And keep in mind as well that SpaceX has never had any interest in space stations, low yeah. earth orbit beyond Starlink. So this, that would be a change of tune and it would have to come with a, obviously a big check behind it for them to do something like that. Or they see some benefit in having a station in orbit and they're willing to work with NASA to get one. Does Is it a good starting off point for a, a mission to Mars or something like that to have all the tankers take all their fuel there and then you dock a ship there and launch it from there? They'd have to determine whether that makes sense or not. Yeah. I guess the tankers in space will eventually resemble or serve the same purpose as that space station, right? Just having a ship in space that's gets refueled to refuel another space ship. That's a space station right there. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. basic one. Yeah. Minus the people. Yeah. But yeah, I also think that if SpaceX does make some sort of space station out of the Starship, they can charge rent to NASA and that could be recurring mm -hmm. income for SpaceX. If they can see the ROI on a Starship that's in orbit and they can make X amount of dollars per year from it to continue development of better starships, Mars starships, ground systems, infrastructure, whatever, if it's going to pay for part of 
the development of these new systems or even Starlink, then that might be something they would be interested in because it seems, I wouldn't say free money because they still have to have people manning the systems and fixing up the ships and stuff as time goes by. But once the, once the ships are decommissioned, they could, in theory, outfit the ships with, I don't know, like I wouldn't, I don't want to say plug and play, but it could be a very compartmentalized systems that they could take out of one starship and put into a newer starship. And it could be really easy to transfer those things because the docking mechanisms for the HLS starship, it's pretty big. If you think about not the docking, the, the elevator systems are, is pretty big. So maybe that could be as part of the docking system. It could be big enough that they could transfer a people and B supplies from one starship to another. So decommission one, take it back down to earth, refurb it, do whatever you got to do, and then upgrade your starship to a new one. And it seems like you could have a, you could have a space station forever in that case. For sure. The beauty of starship has from day one has been its cost effectiveness. It's extremely, relatively extremely cheap to make and to, they could put up another one on a moment's notice at some point, right? Replace a part that of a, a ship that is malfunctioning can bring it back down and whatnot. As you say before, there's a lot of other companies that are involved in this partnership with NASA. So it's uh, SpaceX is just one part of that. There's all kinds of ship of companies that would be doing similar things with them and for them. Yeah. Blue origin, the project that blue origin is going to be used for with his NASA collaboration is integrated commercial space transportation capability that ensures safe, affordable, and high frequency U.S. access to orbit for crew and other missions. That just, does that mean that they're going to be using a rocket to get to low Earth orbit? The commercial it space transportation? Like is the taxi. It sounds like it. Yeah. Or at least one of the taxis. Yeah. For sure. And nothing, it really says nothing else. It says other missions, whatever that means, but... It doesn't really give them anything else. There's no other part or piece of this future NASA space that they get out of this. You're ferrying people back and forth. Yeah. Sierra space is, looks similarly too. Development well, Sierra's got, Sierra gets the in-space superstructure as well. They're actually primed for that next generation space station. So they get the space transportation, in-space infrastructure and tailored space facilities to provide a human presence in orbit. They are really the space station provided that they can meet all of their deadlines and whatnot. To be honest, at that point, SpaceX seems like they're in the wings in case Sierra can't provide what they need. And they could work together. This is a collaborative effort Absolutely. with NASA. So any one of these everything companies... that goes up into space needs to work with together. Yeah. Universal locks and universal this and universal that. You can't have anything that is proprietary when you're, when you talk about NASA and space, it's all got to work together. Yeah. The, so one that's very interesting is vast, and this is some cool wording, collaborating with NASA on technologies and operations required for its microgravity and artificial gravity stations it includes the Haven one, which will provide a microgravity environment for crew research and in space manufacturing and the first crewed mission called vast one to the platform. Development activities for larger space station modules will also take place under the Space Act Agreement. So artificial gravity stations, pretty sci-fi, if you ask me. That's very sci-fi. That's your yeah. rotating stations for sure. Yeah. And that'll take, uh, would be that'll pretty take years. Cool. Yeah, it'll be cool. They're going to have to, I think what they'll do is they'll set up a smaller version of, they're going to have to incrementally set up smaller, medium, large, et cetera. My, anti-gravity, artificial, not anti, but artificial gravity stations. <laughs> <laughs> anti-gravity would be wild, but artificial yeah. gravity stations. Oh, yeah. Proof of concept is, was one of the first things, right? You got to yeah. get up there and prove that it's going to work and it's going to be able to be stable. And, and what do people, how do people react in that situation? We don't actually know. I mean, we can guess based on experience that we've done on earth about spinning people around in a circle, but how long-term effects of somebody being spun and just observing around them, right? This part of the station is spinning slower than that part of the station and it's all curved. And how does that affect somebody? Yeah. Be curious to see. Yeah. And they're going to be, oh, go ahead. Go, no, go, please. Oh, I believe they're going to be using Starship as a transportation system for the Vast One as well, or the Haven One. 
So to get it up there. Yeah. Nice. So they're going to be using, I believe this Falcon nine. Yeah. So they're going to be doing the Haven one on the Falcon nine, and then they're going to be using the starship eventually too. So it's pretty right. cool. They're all going to be collaborating with each other and also NASA. So it's going to be, it's going to, that's going to happen in 2025. So yeah, August, 2025, apparently that's going to be pretty soon. Yeah. A couple of years from now. Yeah. And the other ones we haven't talked about are the ones that kind of interest me quite a bit. Northrop Grumman and Space Aerospace Services, Special Aerospace Services and Think Orbital are all on the robotic side of things. That's getting things up there to build stations and to manufacture things and not put people in danger of getting lost in space or being subject to being out in space with the radiation and whatnot. So it's, I like that side of it as well. Curious to see how that develops. So this, the Northrop Grumman, the persistent platform to provide autonomous and robotic capabilities for commercial science research and manufacturing capabilities in lower Earth orbit. The manufacturing capabilities part of that is pretty cool. I'm interested to see what they do if they're going to 3D print things or if they're going to be doing this, take parts from earth, like just say beams and trusses and pieces and then put them together robotically. I don't know what the actual mission is. They don't have any more information about it, but it seems like that would be something that they could do up there as many manufacture parts of a station or parts of something with robots. Yeah. That's the dream we always see, right? We always see in the future of the sci-fi, things are being built right in space. You've got your sort of space dock where the ship is being built in place up in space around in Earth's orbit. And that would be cool to see. Something I was, when I was a kid, I was really fascinated by space welding, where you put two pieces of steel together that are perfectly flat. And as soon as they go together, there's nothing stopping them from joining. So it's a weld that just happens because they're, the molecules just pass from one piece of metal to the other. Oh, wow. There's nothing stopping them. There's no... There's no oxygen. There's nothing in the way of these molecules just passing from one piece to the next and it joins. Pretty cool. I might have that wrong. It's been a long time since I looked into that, but that was one thing when I was a kid, it was really cool. That would be wild. That would open up so many, so many doors to stations and architecture and space. Hmm. That's cool. That's really cool. I never, I didn't even know about that space welding. I'll have to look into that. That's cool. I can look it up again too. I could be totally wrong, be completely ridiculed, but that's okay. <laughs> leave it, kid. leave it in the comments, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we've touched on everything here. Is there any, are there any other companies you'd like to talk about? I know we talked about Sierra space, but you didn't get to talk about special aerospace services much. They all do the same kind of thing. Special aerospace services is ta is looking at autonomous maneuvering units, astronaut assistance units. So it's all servicing the station outside, helping astronauts as well as perhaps doing autonomous work as well to keep things running, keep it serviced. If somebody drops a hammer, this thing can go and get it rather than the astronaut having to risk something or it being one more piece of space junk. Maybe they're out there collecting that stuff as well. Hmm. That would be really cool to see. That would be cool. Uh, yeah. And then think orbital, similar to just another piece of a space station, but they do the orbital platforms and research, manufacturing, astronaut missions, that sort of thing. So it's building stuff in space, building more things on there. So there's the, the autonomous builders, if you will. This was really cool to see. And it'll be interesting to see how these all work together as well. Can they, can Blue Origin and SpaceX sit down in the same room and figure out the best way to move humanity forward? Wouldn't that be nice? That would be really cool. I think all of these companies working together, building platforms and building stations and sending things, they're going to be working together in buying trips to space from different companies, Blue Origin or through SpaceX or through Sierra Space, if they need to send something up there, they're going to be working together mm -hmm. to send part of their, send part of their space station or part of, part of their platforms up there. So it'll be an interesting time for all of these companies to work together and to also to work with NASA and they're going to be using NASA's technology. They're going to be using NASA's capabilities to innovate in space and all of the stuff that NASA has learned throughout their time with the international space station 
and through their time with the Apollo programs and the space shuttle, all of that, all of these companies can use that to better their platforms too. So it's going to be really cool. Very exciting. Yeah. I hope that's uh, the next 20 or 30 years are going to be very interesting in the space yeah. field and hopefully humanity's still around to take advantage of it. Yeah. I think we will be. I think there's, okay. we're not going to stop. I think this is going to be a really cool, interesting time. This is the stuff that I dreamed of when I was a kid. Like for sure. Like this, it's finally coming true that we're going to, people are going to start building their own space stations. Like companies are going to start building their own private space stations. Who knows? Eventually we'll be to the point where there's going to be a private mission to another star system like Prometheus or something like that show, the movie Prometheus, except maybe they won't be bringing DNA down to earth and dumping it into a river. It'd be a little bit different, <laughs> but it's going to, it's going to be wild in the next 20, 30 years, what happens up there, because not only is it SpaceX, it's all these other companies that want to make money and they get, they make billions of dollars per year from NASA and also from each other. So it's going to be cool. Can't wait to see it happen. Yeah. Same here. Thanks, Neil. That's it for today, everybody. I appreciate you stopping by. Any parting words, Neil, before we go? None at all. Thank you very much for having me on here, Will. Yeah, of course. Anytime. All right. That's it, everybody. Take care of yourselves and each other, and I will see you in the next one.